So over the past uh, few weeks, we've dug uh, a little bit deeper into the theological uh, underpinning of the person, the promise, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And this morning, we're going to move into looking at what it means to live in step with the Holy Spirit. And it's taken from Galatians 5, verse 25, which says this, Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. When we make a decision to follow Christ, we're reborn by the Spirit and we become new creations in Christ. Jesus says in John 3 verse 6, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We've been born of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit becomes the ruling principle in our lives. Our very nature is changed We now desire what the Spirit desires. And with this in mind, Paul, the writer of the book of Galatians, calls us to keep in step with the Spirit. It's incredibly strong language that he uses here. It's actually military language. It means to get in line, to get in line with the Spirit. It conjures up the images of formation marching of soldiers, keeping in step with one another. Think of images like platoons of soldiers marching in step together at something like the tattoo. Those amazing pictures, they're all in line, in step together in their different formations. But of course, uh, formation marching for the tattoo wasn't uh, why soldiers in Paul's time were marching. Uh, They marched in step with one another because it was vital uh, a vital way of stopping the opposing army from penetrating your ranks on the battlefield. One of the most effective examples of soldiers keeping in step with the Spirit is the Roman testudo or tortoise, where soldiers stood line uh, in line, shoulder to shoulder, their shields protecting the person to the left, to the right, and creating a near impenetrable force as they kept in step together. I'm a bit poppy here. Don't know. This bit. There we go. How's that? Great. Tell you, Brittany. Brittany Mikes. Not all the cracked up to be, are they? Good job I'm not dancing as well. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, the language that we use uh, to keep in step, to keep in line, does actually also relate to dancing. Think of a Kaylee. Think about how uh, in a Kaylee, everyone hopefully keeps in step with the beat of the music, the rhythm of the music. They follow the instructions of the callers. They go whirling around the room in time, in sync, hopefully not crashing into one another. Or think about those dance floor classics, which I love to get, anyone who knows me, I love dancing, I love to dance. Uh, think about those classics like Wigfield's Saturday Night, or the Macarena, or Cotton Eye Joe, something like that. Some this really well-known, acceptable dance moves for these songs. As the first couple of bars begin, out of the chaos of the dance floor, lines begin to appear. People hear the beat of the music, they turn away from throwing their own shapes, and they fall in line and start doing the acceptable moves for the song. By the time the first verse is over, everyone is in unison, following the lead, getting in step, in line with the beat of the song. 
And that's the language that Paul is using here to keep in step with the Spirit. It's to hear the Spirit's lead, to stop trying to follow our own moves and get in step with Him. It's a call to march to the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit and not the heartbeat of the broken and fallen world around us. Paul is writing in the context of some really strong teaching uh, about what these alternative heartbeats are and what they sound like. And he calls them the desires of the flesh, those parts of our hearts which have not yet been conformed to Christ or transformed by the Spirit to become like Jesus. And we know that because the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh, we're either in step with the Spirit or we're in step with the world. If you turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. And so you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's so much in that section, but there's just a few things I want to pick out uh, for us to think about. So starting at the top there, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, I had the great joy of being at the Explorers Camp uh, last week. Uh, And at one point, one of the leaders was talking about how when we make mistakes, we can come to God and because he loves us, he'll forgive us of the wrong things that we do. And a a P6 hand shot up and they said, but that doesn't mean that you should just go on being bad just because you know that God will forgive you. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. When we make a decision to accept the gift of grace Jesus won for us on the cross, we place our trust in Jesus, we're forgiven, and we're reborn in the Spirit. We become, as Paul writes in Corinthians, a new creation. And therefore, we've been set free from our past, set free from living in conformity to the world. But this divine gift of freedom is delicate. Tim Keller writes, Despite its divine source, Our freedom is fragile and can slip from our grasp. See, the gospel has birthed freedom, but the world is continually calling us back to slavery. 
See, if we forget that we've been forgiven through Christ, made righteous before God, we can become enslaved to the thought of salvation by works or try to be good enough. And when we do that, we lose our freedom. If we decide to use the freedom that we've been given to live unholy lives or indulge the flesh, as Paul writes here, then we lose our freedom. We lose grasp of the gospel when we abuse it. However, if we know God's love for us, if we know the freedom which was won for us on the cross, if we know the forgiveness that we've received, then why, why would we use our freedom to indulge the flesh and live as an enemy of God, searching for significance? See, when we remember the gospel, the gospel destroys the motivation we have for sin. The gospel removes from us the desire for us to live in the way we want to use our freedom to satisfy our own desires. And Keller goes on to say that anyone who insists that the gospel encourages us to sin has simply not understood it yet, nor began to feel its power. Paul goes on to give 15 examples of what satisfying the desires of the flesh looked like. He said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. These are the things which Paul believes are self-evident vices which belong to the flesh and therefore have nothing to do with the kingdom of God in which we now live as new creations. These 15 over-desires isn't an exhaustive list, but they, they fall into four basic categories. Illicit sex, illicit worship, relationship breakdown, and excesses. It's really a list that describes human behavior when we live in step with a broken and fallen world. And what really struck me most about this list as I was preparing this week is that the culture and the society that we live in see many of these things not as wrong, In fact, they see them as fundamental rights for people living in a free society. But the problem is it's a false freedom. Many of you or some of you will know our family now has a dog. His name is Skagit. There he is. Uh, Named after a town that we drove through in America. I know he's very cute and very fluffy. But we're in the process of training him. Uh, and one of the things that we're using, using to training with is this 10-meter long lead. And when we get to a big open space, uh, Skagit goes off. He, he's away, running with the wind in his fur, bounding along like a tiny, fluffy polar bear. He thinks he's hit the jackpot. He's free until he gets to 10 meters. And then his freedom stops, often quite suddenly. And to him, quite unexpectedly. So our culture tells us that living for self is the way that we live free. And for a period of time, it can certainly feel that way. Like Skagit, we feel like we've hit the jackpot. And so we run off excitedly with the wind in our hair and it all feels like it's going great. Until it isn't. And sometimes that happens quickly and other times it takes longer. But there's always a moment when we realize the freedom that we thought we had was a lie and we're now in a tangled mess Galatians 5 verse 1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free 
Christ has set us free. He's promised us life in all of its fullness. Without God, there are no moral absolutes. You see, our culture and our society is effectively rudderless. It's bounding along, believing itself to be free. And it shouts to the rest of the world how wonderful it is. And it tries to, to bend and conform other cultures to its morality. Western cultural freedom does look enticing. It sounds great. But the reality is that people are enslaved to constantly seeking the approval of others and searching to find acceptance in the shifting sands of the ever-changing societal expectations. The freedom of the world, the freedom of the flesh that it offers is a false freedom. At some point, the long lead runs out. The opposite of life in the flesh is life in step with the Spirit. And Paul goes on to show how we encounter and experience life in step with the Spirit. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. But if you're led by the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says we're to walk by the Spirit. Every moment of every day, are we walking by the Spirit? Are we intentionally, continuously pressing in for more of the Spirit in our life? Are we regularly asking and taking the opportunity to be filled with, this, with the Spirit so we can experience His presence in our life? Are we hungry to encounter more of the Spirit so that we're not quenching or grieving the Spirit by using our freedom won for us on the cross to pursue our own desires or indulge the desires of our, our hearts which are not yet conformed to Christ? Are we being led by the Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit the one who you follow? Does he lead you? Isaac, a couple of weeks ago, gave an overview of what a Holy Spirit in the life of the believer looks like. Are we tuning in to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead us? Jesus' entire ministry was empowered and led by the Spirit. It was the Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. It was the Spirit who prompted Jesus to heal a woman who touched the hem of his robe. The Spirit gave him prophetic insight into the life of the Samaritan woman of the well. How are we being led by the Spirit in our lives? Are our lives becoming infused with the fruit of the Spirit? Are those around us noticing that our character is changing? As the Holy Spirit transforms our hearts, we should see changes in how we show up in our lives. The Christian life is about pursuing daily encounters with the Holy Spirit. Allowing him to continue to transform our hearts to become more like Jesus. Galatians 5 verses 24 and 25 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul ties together the life of the Spirit with the finished work of Christ. Everything which God has done in the new covenant, the new creation, we've been reborn in the Spirit. It's been accomplished through Christ. Therefore, we have confidence, total, complete assurance that those who walk by the Spirit will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The crucifixion of Christ pronounced a death sentence on everything that is flesh. 
And therefore, everyone who believes in Jesus and died to their former self, it's true that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Spirit-led people have, in Christ, nailed their former life to the cross. So living for self and the desires of the flesh is no longer a reality. That's the now of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not yet also. It's not fully established because Christ has not returned. It means we live in a world where we still hear, experience, and act on the drumbeat desires of the flesh. And the way that we we counter this is to remember that since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Or as Gordon Fee writes, walking in the Spirit is the antidote to life in the flesh. And Paul uses a grammatical structure which gives this statement a real added force. It's if this, then definitely this. Or in this case here, since we, let us. Paul sums up his practical teaching of what life in the Spirit does and doesn't look like. Not following the desires of the flesh, but being led by the Spirit, experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And then he strongly urges us to keep in step with the Spirit. We know, don't we, that the English language is bland in comparison with the Greek And so it's helpful sometimes to look at how different translations have have, um, pulled together these verses. And there's two which I found particularly helpful as I looked at them this week. They give us a a different insight into this verse. So the first one is the amplified version. It says this, If we claim to live by the Spirit, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage. Our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we claim to live by the Spirit, which is the life for all believers, then we're to let our conduct be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Last week, Ollie talked about how we're baptized in the Spirit at conversion, but we're then to pursue regular opportunities to be filled with the Spirit or to be empowered by the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit means seeking opportunities to pray, to be empowered by the Spirit. The other translation which I found helpful was from the message, and it says this. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Keeping in step with the Spirit cannot simply be an idea in our heads or an exercise in theological understanding, but rather it must be something which is worked out through every single detail of our lives. Keeping in step is an active command, and so we need to be constantly recentering, realigning ourselves and our lives with the Spirit. Tom Wright says, the Spirit is telling you to get in line. The line in question being the line of life and to life. Your task is to see the line and stick to it. Or as John Stott puts it, it is the Spirit who does the leading, but we do the walking. 
keeping in step with the Spirit requires us to reject one path and follow another, to turn from evil to good, to ruthlessly run away from selfish desires, to have our minds set on the things of God and not the world, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to set our hearts and our minds on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Keeping in step with the Spirit, it impacts our whole lives. The call to keep in step with the Spirit is for all of us as individual believers. But it's also a call to the church. J.I. Packer is a well-known Anglican scholar. He's conservative and reformed in his theology. And his book, Keeping in Step with the Spirit, uh, J.I. Packer makes some surprising uh, but helpful insights into uh, comments about the church. He says this, Now, it's hard to deny that we inherited a situation in which the Spirit of God is being quenched. Unnatural as it may be, the Spirit's power is absent from the majority of our churches. Only styles and structures which serve the Spirit should stand. Everything bogging us down into lifeless routines or restraining the uh, fruitful use of spiritual gifts or encouraging people in pews to become passengers should be changed, no matter how sacrosanct we previously took it to be. The Holy Spirit is not a sentimentalist as too many of us are. He's a change agent. And he comes to change human structures and human hearts. How much change are we willing to accept in order to reach a point where the Spirit is no longer quenched? This is a challenge certainly to the wider Western church. But it's also a challenge to us here at St. Mungo's to make, make sure that we continue to press in for more of the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. It's why we're, we're pressing in for healing. It's why we have extended times of worship when we can press in for more of God. It's why we have prayer ministry in our services. We want to press in for more of God, give space for the Spirit to move. The church in Galatia that Paul was writing to was a thriving, spirit-filled congregation. And then it wasn't. People forgot the gospel. They fell into two camps. Either they got distracted by rules and legalism, became hard-hearted and judgmental, or they became like the culture, living for self and pursuing the desires of the flesh. If it can happen to a church like in the one in Galatia, which was saturated with the spirit, it can happen anywhere. You think about us as we, as we live and as we be loved to the community and the culture that we live in. The one that proclaims freedom through excess. It's easy for us to become uh, hard-hearted and judgmental. But it's also easy for us to fall into accepting it as being good. It's easy to become distracted by the noise of culture, by legalism. Or any number of things. So we need to be continually aware of the line that the Holy Spirit is calling us to. And actively stepping into it. Keeping in step with the Spirit as a church is about each of us as individuals taking the time to be intentional about how we use the gifts of our, our time, of our talents, of our finance to help build up the family of God that we're placed in, the local church. 
And as we build up the church, it helps accomplish the church's mission. And we see individuals and homes and streets and villages and cities and nations transformed to the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage us this morning to keep going, to, to keep being generous with your time, to keep being generous with your talents and your finance, to keep using your spiritual gifts to, to build up the church, to keep pressing in for more of God in worship, to keep taking every opportunity to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, to keep supporting one another practically and spiritually and emotionally in our house groups, to keep serving the church family, to, to keep praying for as a leadership team that, that we also keep in step with the Spirit and where the Spirit is leading us. The call from Paul to the church in Galatia and the call to us at St. Mungo's today is because you've been born of the Spirit, you live by the Spirit and therefore be intentional and deliberate about keeping in step with the Spirit. A church leader once said, the church is only as Spirit-filled as each individual is. So this morning, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.